Welcome everyone to another episode of In Check with FinTech organized by PCN. Um, my name is Rogier and uh, today we have the second part of the two-part series with uh, Netcetra. Um, for all the listeners who were there last week um, and who weren't, uh, last week we've been discussing the development of 3D Secure in APAC. Um, as well as other solutions and opportunities in the market there. Um, also, NetCetra's recent partnership with uh, GND, um, as well as their global expansion. Last week, we were joined by Dr. Thomas Fromherz. This week, we will be with also with Thomas to discuss PSD2 in Europe, uh, the recent deadline, as well as other developments in the European market. Um, but also with me is uh, Martina Forster. Um, Martina is the senior product manager of uh, NetCetra. Um, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, Roger. Hi. Welcome back. And Martina, also welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, Roger. <laughs> we had, of course, uh, uh, Thomas, you introduced yourself last week. Um, Martina, I'll, I'll introduce you as well for the listeners for this week. You're currently Senior Product Manager, as I said, for uh, payment security products at Netcetra. Um, what that means is that you are looking to guarantee an outstanding customer experience and security and performance for banks and issuers. Um, and prior to joining Netcetra in 2017, uh, Martina worked in various roles in consulting, business development, and sales at a world-leading software company in the field of spatial information, gaining experience in Africa and Europe alike. So, Martina, I think you're very well suited here today um, to talk a bit more about PSD2. Is that right? I hope so. <laughs> at least I've been dealing with it uh, now like the past three years. And yes, I'll be happy to share some insights. Great. Very much uh, looking forward to that. Before we dive into that, Thomas, um, question to you. Can you give maybe a short overview of PSD2 when it was initiated, what the main components were? Yeah, just a little bit of a, of a recap um, of PSD2. Yes, yeah, sure. Glad to. Um, and happy to be back on the podcast. Um, so the, the Payment Services Directive 2, or for short, PSD2, um, actually contains two subtopics that don't really have that much uh, to do with each other. Um, it's that the, the one part is um, access to account, which is more like a banking thing. And the second part is strong customer authentication, which is more of a payment thing. PSD2 came into force um, in January 2016, and then the member states had until um, two years later to implement it into national law. And then the, the strong customer authentication part of it actually came into force or was rolled out uh, late in 2019, but the, the, the participants, the market players had until the end of last year, end of uh, 2020 to uh, comply with it. So we're now more or less into in, into the three weeks of uh, you know it being um, having been rolled out. The first part, the access to account part of PSD2, demands that every bank has to offer an open and free API to the market um, with two use cases. Actually, two use cases needed to be implemented, uh, namely the account information services, meaning that you get uh, information. Um, uh, about the bank account of the user and a payment initiation service. So you can initiate payments um, even from, from that part. But I don't wanna go into this any further as it's not so relevant to us in credit card payment. So the second part of PST2, however, you know, it's, it's very relevant to us. Um, the strong customer authentication part regulates all electronic payment transactions 
Uh, basically, it requires all electronic payment transactions to be two-factor authenticated. Um, and, and that means the user has to use two factors out of three possible categories uh, to authenticate himself. Um, the, the categories are, and that's not really uh, new, it's something you know I own or something I know or some, something I am. So um, for instance, if the user owns a phone uh, and some cryptographic material on that phone that counts as ownership, and if he then on top of it presents um, his face ID, that um, counts as something that he is, obviously. So he has two factors and uh, that counts as a two-factor authentication. There's some more requirements in, in, that, in that part um, of PST2, but in a nutshell, this is it. Um, and it's actually interesting to observe that more transactions than you would think uh, count as electronic transactions and hence have to be compliant. Um, so for instance, a card transaction at your local grocery store at the point of sale needs to be compliant because it's electronic. Uh, if you use Apple Pay at your preferred bar, it's electronic, it needs to be compliant. Um, but of course, in our own world of products and et cetera, world of products, you know, strong customer authentication has been specifically discussed in the realm of e-commerce uh, um, transactions. Uh, with credit cards. I had quickly mentioned this in you know, last week's podcast, to become PSD2 compliant in e-commerce when using credit cards. You almost don't get around um, deploying some form of 3DS um, one way or the other. So in a nutshell, you know, this is PDS, uh, PSD2. Um, so the banking part, access to accounts, the uh, strong customer authentication, um, and and um, uh, it's it's uh, relevance to 3D secure. That's interesting. Why was it introduced initially? Why did was it decided uh, by the regulators to introduce PSD two? Um, so the 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 first part, the access to account, is uh, kind of like it's it's in the bigger area of uh, open banking, right? That's a that's a movement that has been uh, going on for a while. Um, and it was to open the banking business a little bit to, uh, to the fintechs. You know, fintechs have become more and more important. The, um, the, art, the, the strong customer authentication, um, on the one hand, had to do with re reducing fraud um, and uh, um, 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 securing the transaction and leveling the, the playing field for, for all the players because, you know, some players um, have not been compliant with some um, uh, security standards um, while others had to. Uh, so they, they, tried to they were trying to level the, the playing field here with uh, PSD2 um, strong customer authentication. I guess very much needed as the um, uh, number of companies growing that were offering these type of services. Uh, there was a need, I think, indeed for a level playing field or a baseline out of which these companies could uh, could act, so to speak. So to speak. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, you mentioned as well that the uh, deadline just passed, of course, three weeks ago. We'll, we'll dive into that in, uh, in a little bit. Before we do that, Martina, what does PSD2 mean for Netcetra and for your clients? Um. 
Well, yeah, maybe we have to do the linkage shortly again between the 3DS and, and the PSD2. So we, yeah. at Netetra, we have been, I think Thomas was explaining that in the first part of our podcast already a bit, we did quite, we do have some past actually. We, we are doing 3DS for about 20 years at Netetra and 3DS maybe just in very short, as a very short explanation what it is, it's really about securing um, the e-commerce transaction by authenticating that the cardholder who is actually trying to do this payment. So whenever you as a consumer, you do a shopping checkout, online shopping checkout, and you enter your card credentials, afterwards uh, the 3DS protocol actually checks your your identity. It checks actually if it's really you, if it's really the legitimate consumer who is doing this transaction. And so this is happening at the very beginning of the payment processing later on on the, on the card issuer side. And by doing so, we prevent actually fraud or 3DS prevents fraud from um, card abuse, on online card abuse. Um, and it does that in a very efficient way. So it, it reduces the cost and the effort that usually card issuers would spend on following up on any fraud cases afterwards if the payment was already done and only afterwards it was figured out that actually this was a fraudulent tra transaction. So that's maybe the, the core value of 3DS to, to identify the cardholder during the online payment at the very early stage. And now, as we have heard from Thomas, PST2, this one big area of PST2 brings the strong customer authentication as a requirement for any remote transaction in the European economic area. And 3DS turns out actually to be like the perfect solution for the card industry to meet these requirements of the PSD2 legislation. So for us at Netcetra, if you're asking what, what does it mean for Netcetra, as we've been doing this business for so long, um, we, we of course saw this as a business opportunity, as a driver for our um, doing, for our products, which we have in that field. And we did then undertake quite a lot of investments um, to actually make our products in the area of 3DS even more suitable to those PSD2 um, specific requirements, which were then given. So yeah, for our customers, which we had on the bank side, on the card, like the card issuers who are issuing the credit cards to the consumer, for them, it was crucial that they would have a solution which is on one hand secure, complying with PSD2, but on the other hand, also allowing um, to have still as much frictionless transactions as possible. And frictionless means that if, if ever possible, that the cardholder should not be prompted for additional um, step ups, like um, that he doesn't need to enter an additional code or does he, that he doesn't need to open an additional app to authenticate himself. So there were some um, yeah, some clear needs from our existing customer base, what they would want to see once that PST2 becomes effective. And we, we actually really started the conversation also with our customers very early on from when the PST2 legislation was um, basically, basically published. I think probably in 2017, we had the first workshops with our customers on the 3DS side. Um, to figure out how we can best accommodate all the, the new requirements for from our customers and from this new legislation. 
And we then also decided to build our own components. Some like the access control server is one major component of the 3DS for the issuer. And we, we built it then by ourselves. First, we had a different provider for that one. And this, this gave, us again, gave us again more flexibility to actually serve than these new needs of, of our customers and also for changing needs because PST2 was so new and it's still very new that actually the needs of our customers are changing over time still up to today. And we need to be really flexible to act um, as a supplier, um, very agile on, on those customer needs. So I would say for us, it's, I mean, that is mainly the issuing side, which I was explaining now, the, the, the solutions which et cetera offers to the card issuers. But um, at the same time, we also saw the opportunity on the other side, of course, the 3DS protocol, it works across the, the, the whole three domains, the shop domain, so where, you, where the cardholder is doing the shopping um, and the bank behind. So we call this the acquiring side. And for this acquiring side, there also is a need for um, solutions to, make, to enable this 3DS protocol, these authentication flows. And etc. did also invest into these components, the 3DS server and 3DS SDK. Um, the 3DS SDK is mainly used for shopping apps. So if you're shopping from a native app from your Google device, um, iPhone, whatever, um, then you would actually have such a 3DS process in the back of your shopping app, making sure that your card cannot be abused during the online payment. And etc. offers all of those components or mod modules for 3DS. And as such, we had also the chance to do the complete testing of the flow as a benefit for our customers. So we did um, implement this whole uh, requirements from the PST2 and 3DS and actually also the new 3DS protocol, which um, yeah, came more or less in parallel with PST2. So we, we put them all into the into those products and making sure our customers can have a perfect user experience on one hand, but also um, increase security for all the online transactions that they would have. So yeah, for us to close maybe the, on the question, it, it was really um, a great opportunity. And we have also had the chance to keep all our customers throughout this journey, the ones which we had before PSD2 and now after we migrated them, we helped to migrate them to new products to the new protocol version as well. And um, as I said, there have also been new needs. Um, so quite a few solutions were built on top of this, like of the core business for maybe PSD2. And I think that's also what we are especially appreciated for that we really take care of, of um, our customers changing needs over time. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. What kind of needs are those? What kind of needs have you seen and what
what's been your response or what kind of solutions have you built on top of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so one very obvious one was really from the PSD2 there you have this restriction that every transaction must be authenticated strongly. So by the law, it would mean every single e-commerce transaction, you would need to have a challenge. So like an, an interactive authentication with the user in place, which is of course a friction for the whole payment process. And there, there was a big need that we implement any possibility to allow for an exemption. And in exemption, there is a few of those exemptions also defined in the PST2 articles, so in this legislation. It's, for example, one of them was that the cardholder can uh, choose trusted beneficiaries. And if the issuer approves those benef- uh, trusted beneficiaries are the shops to the merchants. And if the issuer approves those merchants as well, then actually these transactions could pass frictionless without those additional authentication needs, um, as long as the cardholder has really said yes to it. And so we implemented a solution um, on top of our service, which allows exactly that. So now the cardholder, during the checkout process, he sees a box, a checkbox where he can actually yeah, check or not check um, that he would trust this shop in the future. For example, if you shop very often at Amazon or I don't know, Spotify or whatever you do as have as an e-commerce transaction, you could actually then list this merchant on your card, whitelist it actually. And after that, you would not be prompted for additional authentication for future transactions, which is of course convenient for the user consumer, um, but also very interesting for the banks because they can secure the conversion of this transaction much more easily. Um, than if there would be this additional authentication needed. I see. So that was one. Um, maybe another one. I mean, th- there is a lot of re- requirements now from the compliance perspective. Um, so the, the banks, they need to report, but also the acquiring banks, so issuing and acquiring banks, need to report about um, the compliance with PSD2 <clears throat> um, actually to their national authority in the area of finance. And to do so, they need much more data from any provider. And we we invested there very early on into having real-time services available. So we notify our our customers, the banks, um, in real time about any transaction which happens um, so that they can use this data further on for fraud prevention, but also for this reporting and compliance needs actually that they have. Um, yeah, maybe something else is that this whole um, use, the user experience is of course crucial because you must imagine that the amount of transactions going through 3DS is, it is increasing now heavily. I mean, before PSD2, it was, it was still, it was also used. <laughs> I mean, it was useful 3DS, but um, probably, I don't know, maybe about 15 to 20% of all the e-commerce transactions were going through this 3DS process. And now as PSD2 is effective, the need for the 3DS process is much bigger. So there is more volume of all the e-commerce transactions going through that process, which of course also increases the need for having a great user experience in place so that the conversion of the transaction is, yeah, in the end successful and that the 
as both the merchant and the issuing bank are not losing on those type of transactions um, just because of this 3DS. So there we have um, yeah, different solutions in place also yeah, since a long time, actually also before PSD2, that the user can authenticate very smoothly via app by just one click in an app, authenticate that he wants to approve this transaction. Or we do have um, also like yeah, all kinds of templates which we provide so that they are actually already designed in a way that the consumer is really guided nicely through the checkout process, including this 3DS. So yeah, that, that's the type of probably challenges they had or the needs they have. Um, yeah, I could mention right. more, but I think yeah, no, no, it gives I think you a bit an impression. A, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it gives a good in, insights into uh, the differentiators that you guys have, I guess, as well, uh, as opposed to uh, maybe other companies. But it sounds also that the early onboarding uh, of getting people involved in, what did you say, 2017 it was, um, mm -hmm. has also been quite a game changer, right? Because you were able to, uh, yeah, start developing for the last three years or so. Indeed, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we did, I mean, it's not only us as a provider. I mean, we, we are really the provider to the, to our, to the banks, to the issuing banks and the acquiring side, um, but also them. I mean, they needed to prepare a lot also in terms of communication to the cardholders, um, to the consumers, um, to make them aware of what would be changing. Um, and actually, if, yeah, maybe this is also really the major part still of what is happening today, the whole industry is now aware of PSD2 and the industry is aware of 3DS and um, what it takes, but the consumer is somehow still onboarding on this whole thing. <laughs> um, there is still really a lot of cardholders who, who have probably not yet heard a lot about what is PSD2. Maybe it's also not necessary, but I mean, if he's not having a uh, the, there is one issue currently. I mean, these credit cards um, need to be registered for 3DS. And so if, if the consumer doesn't know he has to register his card, then he also cannot shop, do the shopping process securely. Um, there is still a lot of education ongoing, I would say, or should be ongoing <laughs> to make this really successful transition. Imagine, yeah, and then the deadline now also just passed, right? 31st of December, or I think at least in Europe because they postponed it in the UK, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in UK, they postponed it up to, to September in this year. Um, also, some other countries they have like a ramp up plan, uh, which allows still a little bit of of the volume of e commerce to pass without PSD2. So, like, for example, they choose. Um, any payment which is below, I think, 250 euro or below 100, 100 euro, it can still go without being PST2 compliant for a certain while. And several countries, actually, I know of Germany and Austria, for sure, they have also such kind of ramp up plans still ongoing. And that means the industry has still somewhat time <laughs> to, to adapt. But officially, it would be effective from the 1st of January. And it's also from the big card networks like MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and so on. I mean, they push this a lot that we have the whole industry is, is ready for now playing the e-commerce transactions in a PSD2 compliant way. Yeah. What has happened since then over the last three weeks? What have you seen? Did you see that uh, a lot of the European countries were 
are ready for it and, and, and it's all done and dusted? Or do you still see there's a lot of developments going on? Or yeah, what, what's the last three weeks been? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we've, there's been several <laughs> different, per country it's different, first of all. Um, but this depends also a lot on, you must imagine that the whole industry, the card industry is of course behind this deadline or, or wants to push towards this deadline that everything is ready. And now they, it depends a lot how they did that also like MasterCard or Visa. Um, in Eastern Europe, maybe they had a different approach than in Western Europe. Um, and so you see this a little bit in the pattern now that, that there is a bit of different market readiness for different countries and regions. Mainly the issuer side, so the card issuers, they are technically ready in most mm-hmm. of the countries. Um, but the merchant side, so the shop side, they are still preparing. I mean, lots of the big ones, of the very big players that you might know, let's I don't know, take as an example, a Microsoft or Amazon, etc. I mean, they, of course, they had also big endeavors or projects to push towards this deadline and to be ready to have compliance solutions in, in place. But still, a lot of them are just trying out, actually. Also, how is it now going? How, how are the conversion rates with the different payment flows that they offer to the consumer? They also apply these exemptions, which are allowed by the legislation. And so the whole industry is kind of in a learning phase. And you can see that that there is also some errors still happening, some implementation errors. Um, So some transactions might still fail due to that, although the, the percentage is reducing. And what we have certainly seen is that in general, the the share of 3DS in e-commerce is growing constantly. So that was expected that we would have more 3DS transactions from the overall e-commerce transactions share. Um, And also the new protocol. Um, We did not speak now in detail about that, but there is this new 3DS protocol, um, EMB 3DS. I think Thomas mentioned it in the last podcast. So this one is as well gaining share. So there is like the old protocol version. You can still be compliant with the old one as well in PST2, but it's more effort and it's not so convenient and it doesn't cover every aspect or every payment use case which we have today. So it's really worth to to switch to the EMB 3DS protocol latest now. And that's what is also being seen, so that there is more transactions coming through this new protocol version in 3DS. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing, and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. I see. And what, I mean, with the companies in the ecosystem, so issuers, card networks, merchants, the whole lot, have you seen them welcoming this regulation with open arms? Are they happy that it's there? Did they feel as well that there was a need or how do your clients respond to all this? question <laughs> you're laughing so um, <laughs> well i'd say i mean on one hand i mean there was also the goal of this legislation was to um have like equal competition or co- compet- 
um, to, to equalize the competition a bit. So you can imagine the big players, maybe they were not really waiting for that one <laughs> because they had their market share. And um, But the idea is um, probably respected from all parties. There is no way around it. Um, if if, people, if if the industry really likes it, it's hard to tell, I would say. I mean, it, it was really a lot of effort throughout the last three years, a lot of discussions, um, force and back and, and different solutions provided by the schemes. So the card networks provided by the ACS providers as VR or the 3DS server providers um, by the issuers, by acquiring and so now we are here, we have some solutions where there was a really, it probably brought quite some change to the way how the, the industry is collaborating together because it was quite an open collaboration, I would call it. Um, we, we had a lot of workshops throughout this period where all the parties have been sitting at one table um, and quite openly or transparently discussing how could we best solve the problems of PST2 for this industry. So that, that's probably like a benefit out of it. <laughs> but now let's see how really the transaction volume is going and, and how the conversion is continue, continuing. Because that's, of course, the major goal of all parties that we have a good conversion rate from 3DS transactions com being compliant to PSD2 now also in future. Of course, yeah. Is there talks yet about PSD3 or is it too early? <laughs> I think nobody wants that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it will certainly appear. <laughs> of course, yeah, right. Okay, wait, uh, wait to be seen. Mm -hmm. uh, great, thanks for that uh, for that overview, Thomas. Back to you. I mean, last week we talked about click to pay. I remember um, specifically within the APEC market. Um, before we talking about that in light of Europe, can you maybe give a bit of a refresher to the listeners who didn't listen to last week's episode, or for people who just need a general refresher on click to pay? Sure, I'm happy to do so. Um, so, you know, if you look at at, uh, at the, all the categories of card transactions in e-commerce, credit card transactions in e-commerce, we typically like to um, split them in, in three categories. One is the, you know, the digital pays, the Apple pays and Google pays and so on. They, they are also active in e-commerce. So that's one category. Then the other category, a big one actually, is what, what is typically referred to as card and file. Um, those are, you know, uh, merchants where the, the user is present or is not present, but uh, comes back on a regular um, basis and the cards are stored on file. And then there's a third category, which we typically refer to as guest checkout. And basically that means that the user has to enter his data. Um, for whatever reason, right? Whether the merchant doesn't have card on file or um, uh, the, the user didn't want to store his card, whatnot, or he's the first time he shows up at the merchant, but he has to enter the card details. And of course, that's friction. Um, you know, it, it, makes, uh, it makes paying uh, more difficult. And that's actually the category that click to pay addresses, the guest checkout. Um, and it does it, it there, there may be three key, uh, key features of click to pay One is that every card that comes in contact with click to pay meaning gets enrolled, uh, it's turned into a digital card. So it's tokenized. So um, uh, much like in other areas, it's, it's a tokenized card and it gets stored in the central SRC systems. Uh, every scheme has one. So 
A user who is enrolled in Click2Pay has a profile at these uh, systems and the cards are stored there, maybe also the addresses. That's kind of like one, one thing. The other thing is that SRC or Click2Pay tries to recognize the user in as, as many cases as possible when he shows up at a merchant, even if he hasn't been at the merchant before. If, if somehow through some measures, the system recognizes the user, it can find the card and it displays the card and the user doesn't have to enter anything. That's kind of like the, the, the second uh, principle. And the third principle is what we typically refer to as a consistent checkout experience. That goes both sides, right? Uh, for the user, it, mean, it often means like one button, uh, click the pay button, one button, or sometimes it's also a trigger, right? On Alexa, for instance, it's a voice command, it's a trigger. Um, and then the, the ensuing um, checkout experience with click to pay is supposed to be more or less similar across the journey of paying. Um, so that's, that's something, a simplification for the user. But the consistent checkout also um, helps the, the merchant and the payment service provider because you only have to integrate one service, click to pay service um, for, for any of the credit cards that you wanna support on the click to pay. And that's of course uh, um, some uh, you know, simplification for the PSP and for the merchants that before that, you know, when they wanted to uh, include a Visa checkout, that was one integration, MasterPass, another integration, same for Amex, other integration, and so on and so forth. So that makes it sim more simple for, uh, for the PSP and the merchants. So in a nutshell, that's basically it, right? Addressing the guest checkout and making it easier for the user to check out. I see. And where does that kind of development stand in Europe? And are we far ahead of APAC you discussed last week? Yeah, um, so as I mentioned last week, um, click to pay is really just being rolled out at the moment. You know, after the US rollout in fall of 2019, actually not that much happened in 2020. Um, sure, there was, uh, you know, Canada went live and some more kind of like pilot rollouts um, happened, maybe in UK, Saudi Arabia, maybe Australia, but not a really a concerted effort to roll this out. Um, but that doesn't mean the schemes were not active. Um, they actually were quite active um, and, and they worked on their respective click to pay programs uh, to make it ready for prime time. Um, you, you see, if you look at the US rollout, what they actually did there is um, they basically simply, and that's quote unquote simple, um, they simply um, converted the existing Visa checkout and existing MasterPass and and and, 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 and these wallets to um, to click to pay. There was some work involved in the sites and the schemes, but it was easy for them to roll a click to pay out quickly that way. Now, um, since the rest of the world, you know, in the rest of the world, these wallets, Visa checkout and so on, MasterPass are not that prevalent. Uh, they're not so present. Um, they had to, the schemes had to do some work to get it ready for, for these other markets. Um, I now see more activity around click to pay uh, this year compared to last year. You see some initiatives to roll it out in parts of Europe in 2021 without going into uh, details here. Um, 
but this will not be an, an, an easy feat, right? Um, you have to see that many payment stakeholders in the different markets, they very well remember the unsuccessful rollout of Visa Checkout. Actually in Europe, it was We.me, not even Visa Checkout or MasterPass in, in these markets a few years back. And of course, they want to make sure that this doesn't repeat with the rollout of, of Click2Pay. Um, so I hear that in the different markets, payment associations, other stakeholder groups, um, they are kind of like forming work groups to you know, get into the driver seats when um, the schemes roll out Click2Pay in their markets. So yes, all in all, I would expect a heightened rollout in, in, uh, in, uh, of Click2Pay in Europe. However, I'm not sure whether you will see, uh, you know, well, whether you can tell who leads the race, whether it's Europe or, or APEC uh, at the moment. Yeah, to be seen. Right, sounds right. Like. right, right. What do, what's uh, Netcetra's stake in all this? Well, I, I personally believe that Click2Pay offers some really compelling and also very flexible checkout options um, for the Photogest checkout. And, as you have heard from, from Martina, right, we're in et cetera, certainly wants to offer a product in uh, click to pay uh, on the merchant side because you know, the PSPs are already our clients in, um, in uh, um, for 3D Secure and also for um, e-commerce tokenization. So we, we certainly wanna offer something on, on, on that side. Um, but as you probably also know is that we have quite a uh, comprehensive issuer wallet um, um, product line. And uh, we would like to also implement um, uh, something on that side because the issuer is also in, in, involved in Click2Pay. And um, there it, it probably would address the enrollment because the way Click2Pay is currently rolled out, enrollment happens um, during the shopping process. and. If you have been long enough in 3D Secure, you remember something called ADS, Activation Doing Shopping, which was a great idea in the beginning of, of 3D Secure, but later on it was friction because the user needed to type in all, the, all these data things you know, to, to enroll during the shopping process. And we believe that we can put this on, uh, onto the, the issuing side. Um, and that's, so that's, that's kind of like two stakes that we have there. And it actually goes a bit further. Uh, as you probably also know, uh, Netcetra offers an aggregation service for the e-commerce tokenization. So that's the, one of the three categories that I mentioned before where you know, the card on file is turned into a, a token on file, right? Now, if you think about it, you could use click to pay to find the user's card to then use that card to enroll card on file or token on file on that merchant, right? So you can use one technology to actually enable the other technology more seamlessly. Uh, and I believe there are some interesting synergies that we could offer between those two services. So it's very interesting indeed. Very cool. Yeah, it's good to see that there's still some development going on. It sounds like you, you guys are very much spearheading that with uh, the knowledge that you have, which is very interesting indeed. Um, something else, Thomas, which we talked about uh, before the show, actually, um, because I saw your talk at the Swiss Payment for Forum, where you talk about NFC tags and 
QR code and the ways of application, of course, now with um, uh, Chinese payment methods coming more and more to Europe, but I think also European-based payment methods relying more or trying to rely more on looking at how to include uh, QR code-based payments into uh, their technology. Um, can you maybe talk a bit about that, kind of your views on that, NFC tags versus QR code-based payments? Um, I'm happy to. Um, that has been kind of a pet interest of mine for a few years now. Uh, and, and basically the premise, the, the basic premise uh, of that talk that you mentioned um, basically said, given the success of WeChat Pay and Alipay, right, with leveraging QR codes, both static and dynamic QR codes, uh, now you see a good number of new payment methods being launched in, you know, as QR code pays, as we call them, in other regions of the world. And very often, I'm not sure whether in these cases they, you know, thought about, is that the only way of doing this in my region? Um, so, so, so we see that on, uh, you know, on the one hand side, and, and that's okay, you know, for certain use cases, um, of these payment products, specifically when you leverage the dynamic QR code, meaning like at the point of sale, for instance, uh, uh, QR code is generated for every single transaction, a different one. There are a lot of great use cases for QR codes. However, when it comes to static QR codes, you know, those are the, stat the QR codes like for merchants, uh, like pizza deliveries that print out a QR code once, and then let the user scan it, and then he enters the, the, the amount and pays. In these cases, you know, there are often better options than QR codes. And, and naturally, you, know, you mentioned it already, I, I, I'm talking about the NFC tag. Um, so quickly, NFC tags, those are small tags that contain two things, a small antenna and a tiny little chip on which you can store stuff, right? So. Um, it's in a way it's simple to uh, similar to QR code, static QR codes. So static QR codes basically contain, for instance, a URL or something, and an NFC tags can do the same thing. You, you maybe store a URL um, there, and in that there, you know, for your mental picture, they are similar to contactless credit cards because those also contain a chip and they contain an antenna. Now the interaction with an NFC tag is often not always, but often more user-friendly than QR codes. Um, it, I mean, it really depends on the use case. Um, but basically that is because you simply tap such a tag and then you proceed with whatever use case uh, you have at hand, right? And especially if you look at QR codes in, in, in these QR code payment areas, it's typically uh, so that you first have to open your phone, you have then to find the app, you have to open the app, then you have to start the scanning mechanism in this app, and then you scan the QR code, and then you can enter your, your amount. Um, for some reason, most of these QR code payment apps are uh, implemented that way. If, if you do that with the, uh, an NFC tag, you basically just simply tap the NFC tag and it takes it directly, it finds the app automatically, it, it opens the app, uh, it automatically finds the specific screen where you can enter your, your amount and you're done. So uh, you're good to go, right? So th that's why I believe in many uh, situations, the NFC tag is maybe more user-friendly. Interesting, is that your own belief or is there more 
behind that, the user friendliness. <laughs> For the longest of time, it was my own belief. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and you could easily think so, uh, you know, if, if, if I talk about it, because I like to talk about it, it was a, a, a pent interest. However, it just recently became more relevant than that. If you look at what Apple has launched last June uh, with the latest um, OS update, um, you see that they also released a little known, so far a little known feature called App Clips. App Clips are small interactions of an app, of an actual app that can be triggered without actually downloading the app. So I assume you have uh, five use cases in an app, but one use case is exposed as an app clip. You can call that one. You don't even have to download the app, which is a very interesting, but also a very powerful idea. Um, now, these app clips, of course, have to be activated somehow. You have to trigger them somehow. Um, and if you look at that, Apple seems to rely heavily on NFC tags on that. At least they seem to push them uh, to a certain extent. Um, other means of triggering these app clips are also QR codes, of course. You can also use a link, an embedded link, or you can send a link. But if you look at Apple's trailers for app clips, um, you can see that there are several NFC tag interactions. There are some links that are being used in the trailer, but none of these examples actually use the QR code there. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't use QR code for app clips, but um, I, I, for me, kind of like I have heard in the past few years that Apple wants to come away a little bit at least from the clunky QR codes. And I think this seems to be um, one way. And, you know, just to, to get an idea how app clips, you know, what, what problems they may solve. Uh, one of my standard examples is the e-scooter. So imagine you're in a new city, um, you want to go from A to B and, you know, there's an e-scooter there, uh, which seems really helpful, but you haven't registered with that particular e-scooter yet. It doesn't exist in your own hometown, right? So Normally you would have to download the app, then uh, get a profile, then store your card, and then you're ready to go. With app clips, you could just tap at you know, an NFC tag or even uh, scan a QR code on that e-scooter. It brings up the payment page of that app without downloading the app, and you can pay there and you, you're good to go within a minute or so. Much easier, and if companies like Apple are also putting their forces behind the technology, and that is probably a future in it. So I guess you're a long, long year living belief has some kind of truth in it, Thomas. Do you believe it will replace QR codes, NFC tags? No, I don't think so. You know, as I mentioned a couple of times, I think QR codes have, you know, much to offer and, and really NFC tags also have limits, right? It's, it, it's limited to proximity use cases. You need to be able to be close to the tag, otherwise you cannot tab it, right? Um, and in many cases, uh, you know, QR codes are the better solution. In fact, I personally believe that a combination of NFC tags and a QR code in one sticker very often is the better way. You know, it's a way to go because it's user-friendly. It leaves the decision, you know, which one to use to the user. And it's interesting, you know, I have seen that concept before Apple came out with the app clips um, in, in my uh, gym here in Zurich, um, where they actually connected to a training app through 
a combination of a QR code and underlying NFC tag, and they made the iPhone scan the NFC tag, whereas the Android phones uh, were scanning the QR code tag. So they already used that. Apple also, with the app clip, they also issued what they call an app clip code. And for them, it's actually a combination of, it's not a proper QR code, it's, it's a pattern that acts like a QR code and an underlying NFC um, antenna. And um, maybe if I may add, of course, you know, you can use app clips for any times of simple interactions, not just payment. Um, and et cetera, we're currently exploring what applics clips, you know, what they're really good for and, you know, maybe in which of our, I don't know, 200 plus apps of our clients, it would bring a lot of benefits because it's not always um, um, obvious uh, right in the beginning. So we're currently uh, internally exploring that. Um, also, we have uh, written a, a demo app to, to be able to present it. And I think so we'll, we'll soon have a better sense of it. So, you know, just out there, right? Uh, look at app clips, uh, look it up. It's quite compelling, I think. And it has been around for Android phones for quite a while. <laughs> this happens very often, right? That Android has one functionality earlier than the iPhone, but now the iPhone has come along and it, you know, I believe when Apple brings this out, this may actually be successful. Right, well, thanks for sharing that. I think that, especially like you said last time, right? Netcetron serves multiple industries. So it's good for you to see the applicability of such technology also in different settings and just payments. Um, and you can integrate them with one another. Like you said last time, I think that's uh, that's really cool. So thanks for sharing those insights. Nice. Um, and thanks, uh, Martina and uh, Thomas both for being on the show. It was great to have you. Um, Thomas, also thank you for last time. Um, and uh, yeah, Martina, thanks for sharing the insights in PSD2. Um, for all the listeners, thanks for tuning in again. If you want to find out more about Netcetra, then um, I think the best way to go, uh, Martina, is www.netcetra.com. Is that right? Sure, that's fine. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and if you find, want to find out more about Martina or Thomas, you can both find them on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, hope to uh, um, hear you next time again. Um, if you want to um, re-listen the podcast from last week, I definitely recommend it. Uh, it flows in nicely with this one. Um, and um, yeah, tune in next week again. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free a Girl, who are dedicated to finding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freegirl.com for more information. Thank you.